Hello, podcast listeners. This is Teresa. This is Scott. We are beginning another podcast moment. Yes, we uh, are. We're so glad you're here. Yep. Yet another awkward introduction. Well, I choked. Because you asked me if I was ready, and I said yes, and then I thought maybe I'm not. Yeah. Oh man, the pressure. The yeah, pressure. Yeah. The pressure's on. Pressure's yeah. on. Well, I tell you, uh, I don't know what we're gonna say in this message because I think that, um, not to diminish what you had to say last weekend, because it was terrific as usual. But um, boy, the crowd really got into this message, and we had a lot of awesome feedback, which I always particularly love. Yeah, mostly on Sunday, but um, you know, I can't really remember how Saturday went. Now that I think we had it. feedback on Saturday night too. Maybe so. Not quite as much as Sunday. Mm-hmm. Although Sunday was one of the most talkative crowds we have ever had. Which, yeah, did we get out at like two or three in the afternoon? <laughs> I think we were a couple minutes over, but not bad. Um, which was kind of funny because I think the week before we had one of the most uh, silent crowds I can remember having, at least in recent memory. So, you know, the thing I love about our community is they're completely unpredictable, which keeps <laughs> me on my toes. Yeah, do I love that? I don't know if I do, but that's a me thing, not a them, not yeah. a you thing or a them thing. Yeah, I think you'd probably. I like knowing what to expect. Prefer a little more knowing what to expect. Yep. I like the roller coaster. (laughs) I've always been somebody who lifted my hands at the top of the hill of a roller coaster. Yep. Yep. I did hear several people say afterwards, or at least I, I think I overheard people say something to the effect of that was super chaotic and wonderful. Yeah, it really, it was both of those things. Um, which is sort of a hilarious and odd combination that you don't often get. And that is uh, North Star in a nutshell, I think. I think it's chaotic and wonderful. And, um, yeah, that's – which is a great feeling after the fact. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, well, that's why you always want to ride the roller coaster again, Right after it's right after it stopped, but you weren't sure going up the first hill if it was worth it. Right. Um, so, you know, the great thing about the podcast is maybe there were things that you didn't get to say uh, that you would have liked to say because uh, we had so much participation, or maybe you feel like you got your points across. But for podcast listeners everywhere, tell us what you were thinking when you. Uh, prepared that message well um hmm i i do think i got to say everything that i wanted to say which is an indicator that i didn't have much prepared since we had all that interaction (laughs) and still got out relatively on time we did not get off on in time you're Um, deluded but go ahead so you know we started out with um you know, it, it had the potential to be a really convoluted message. And um, and maybe it was, and, and that was okay, because mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes that's just f- fine, you know. Right. But so we got a smart crowd. They can keep up. Yeah. In terms of the nuts and bolts of it, uh, I started out with a metaphor. You know, I think 
and and I, I, I started out, I'm always trying to get people to understand the big picture of what God's up to, because I don't think, you know, this is one of the areas which I think the church has not always served us well. Mm-hmm. And so I started off with this metaphor of talking about family systems with the intent of having that be a metaphor that would help us understand how God brings about change. Right. Um, and so for, for those of you who weren't here, um, by and large, what we uh, one of the things that happens in um, family education meetings, be that something that we do on a Thursday night or what you would get at a treatment center, um, I just, my mind blanked on how I started that sentence. Well, you were getting ready to tell us about family systems, and it was a metaphor. Right. So... W- so part of what we uh, always try to coach people in is make sure the whole family gets in recovery. Right. Right. Because we because, understand that it's a family system disease. Yeah. So the disease, and I don't know exactly how this works, and I don't want to get into the nuts and bolts and treat this like it's a medical conversation, right? right. But I think, you know, for for our purposes, you know, we view, we view substance use disorder as a family disease. So wherever it starts, however it grabs hold, whether it's one person or many all at once or whatever the progression, it's not important for our purposes other than to know that somehow, some way, it grabs the whole family. Right. Right. And so what happens is that means you have a whole family who's ill, not just the person who's got the substance use issue. Right. And so that means everybody needs treatment. The whole system needs treatment. But the other thing that happens is there becomes this system that's larger than the family. Yeah. Right? So like if one person enters recovery, for instance, and then tries to re-enter the system, the system itself fights back. Yes. And so let's just pause there and make sure everybody gets that because I know you and I get it and I know you're ready to rush on to the next point. But no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not at okay? all. Are you okay with me stopping Yeah, I, I want this to be clear. Okay. So I want you to think about what the implications of that are. Entering into recovery is super hard. Uh, nobody, I've never known anyone who really did it willingly. Um, most people are compelled to do it because, you know, they're on their last chance in some way or another. Circumstances end up conspiring. Yeah. And there's just no other option, yeah. really. It's really hard. There's nothing about it that's easy. It is in many ways not only humbling but sometimes humiliating what you go through to move into recovery. Yep. And then you re-enter your family with oftentimes this, this wonderful glow about you that comes from humility and clarity. It's like, hey, guys. <laughs> I've got this really cool story to tell you about how I once was lost and now I'm finding my way back to myself and to a sense of purpose in life. And the system turns on you, but the way it looks is as if your family turned on you. Yep. And that's extremely painful. And really, early on in recovery, I think more than we should be asked to bear to try to have the objectivity to say, well, here goes that family system uh, trying to survive. This really isn't my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my third cousin twice removed turning on me. 
Um, so I think this is a really painful metaphor for those who have experienced it. Yeah, so I guess like how this looks practically speaking is um, there's conflict, there's tension, there's anger, there's resentment. And no matter who's the person who's entering recovery, whether it's a family member who starts going for family support or the person with the substance use issue, you bring back what you've learned and you meet this resistance. Yeah. And it's surprising. Yes. And it's surprising because what you're bringing back is an objectively good thing. Right. And the system doesn't want a good thing. The system, above all else, fights to stay the same. Yes. And it's irrational. Yep. And confusing and triggering. Yep. And so maybe maybe using the word system is not helpful, but the disease, yeah. you know, the disease that has gripped the family uh, fights anything that would change the status quo. We've all got roles that we're playing. You know, whether we're the hero who's trying to save everybody or whether we're the scapegoat who everybody's trying to push out of the family, uh, we all have these roles. We want the roles to stay the same. Uh, the disease resists the change, and this has negative implications. And I think the other point that I made uh, over the weekend, which I also think is important, is that I also believe that the person who has entered recovery, um, when they get back into the family system, has its own certain unhealthy, unhelpful, and relapse triggering, but nevertheless true, pull to want to re-enter the system and get things back in balance too. So it even triggers the person in recovery. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, I mean, in an ideal world, this dynamic is part of a process. It's not, th th this can look a lot of different ways with families, but in the ideal, and I and granted, we don't all get the ideal. Yeah. But in, the, and most of us probably don't get the ideal. Right. But in the ideal world, this tension and this conflict is part of the process of the family moving towards health, right. towards recovery, um, ultimately towards learning how to love again. Right. How to function as a unit where all parts are respected, where everybody can be an individual and part of the group simultaneously, where you can have unique interests outside of the family and have that not be a threat, where you can critique the family and not be an enemy. Yes to all of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the goal, right? And in an ideal world, the tension is just part of the process of moving from dis-ease towards wellness and learning to love again. Yes. And even though it's uncomfortable, it's also healing. Right. In, in the ideal world. Now what happens in the real world, a lot of times, is that Family will not travel with us on this journey. Yeah. People will resist the outside support and help that would help the family through this bumpy patch. Um, somebody refuses to go along with the necessary steps. And, and this will this will create more pain. It'll create more hurt. It'll feel like a sense of betrayal. And I think ultimately it creates a sense of hopelessness 
about the difficult work of being in recovery in the first place. You talked at the beginning about how hard it is to reach out for help and then how it's even harder then to listen to the people who are trying to help you, to enact these changes. And so when you take that back and all you meet is resistance and you don't move towards receiving any of the benefits of that of that move towards health, then you start to feel like, why am I even doing this? Yeah. And I think, I don't know if you were in your zone or if you could notice it or see it, uh, but I, from my position over the weekend as a listener and turning around to look at how people were receiving what you were putting down there, um, you could see the pain on the faces of the people who really understood this on a very deep and personal level. That and I would say it was almost everyone. Yes, uh, that's that would have been my assessment. It was almost completely universal, which was really sad because I, I honestly kind of wasn't expecting that, you know, um, in some ways. Uh, I was worried about whether or not this would be uh, relatable, which seems silly in hindsight. Yeah. But. What were you thinking? What were you smoking? <laughs> now, the way that this becomes a metaphor <clears throat> is that ultimately... In my mind, this is a similar dynamic to how God brings about change in the world. Okay. He is creating a certain kind of people. That is what the that is what followers of God or the church or whatever terminology you want to use, I'm not particular about it. Um they are meant to be a different kind of presence in the world that shows the world God's love. Right. That shows what is possible. And with the idea being that other people will see this change and that not only all of people but all of creation will change as a result, that God is creating a people who know how to reflect his love so that all people can learn to love again. Right. With the ultimate goal of creating a creation that is flourishing. Yep. Kingdom of God stuff. Yeah. Yep. And it's a system that's very resistant. So it's not easy to do this. So that's why it's such a good metaphor. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the idea, I mean, and I think even within the, even within that group of people who are meant to be learning how to love again, there's conflict about learning right. how to love. Right? right. So it, it, um, you know, so I think it really works on a number of levels. I think, uh, I think the world at large resists got the message of grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love. We would, we tend to happily trade that for status and competition and all of those kinds of things. Um, and yeah, yeah. So I, th I don't yeah, know. Yeah, good, I don't meta know, good I don't, metaphor. I don't know if you're. <laughs> it seems like you're pushing me <laughs> from elaborating on this. So I'm. No, hoping no, that, no, no. I was just saying. I, um, I get it now. Can I say something else about that? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think you did such a good job with the example that I missed the fact this weekend that it was a metaphor. Like I didn't make. I think I was so triggered by the first part that I really missed the fact that this is a metaphor. So that's why I'm like sitting here with a puzzled look on my face, I'm like, yeah, that was really a good metaphor. And 
I can see it now, but at the time I was like, this is a really good real life example. So um, I do agree with you that it is an excellent metaphor. I also happen to be writing something right now where I'm making the same point and I am mentally editing it because what you're saying here is better than what I wrote. So hurry up, get this podcast over so I can go fix what I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think the idea, and I think this is where the two things really come together, is the idea is that there's often so much resistance to trying to live a more faithful kind of life or a more recovery-centric kind of life or whatever area that we're talking about, there's so much resistance to it that we can't help but feeling like, what is the point? Right. Why am I committing to this when nobody else seems to be committed to this? Oh, yes. I had just that experience last week, you know, and it was just like I said to your your father, my husband, um, I said, I don't know why I'm committing to this. I had... uh, had an example where somebody was in a crisis and they asked to see me at a, but they only had a very small window of opening. And so I literally changed seven things to make an opening for them. And 20 minutes before the meeting, they called and said, Hey, I have this great fun opportunity to go do blah, blah, blah. So I can't make your meeting my meeting with you. And I was just like, thank God there were no pencils around because I would have stuck them in my eyes. Um, so there was there's just this frustration of trying to live in a way that is gracious and kind. And maybe after this, you're gonna tell me how I was too flexible and didn't have good boundaries. So don't look at me. Um <laughs> but you know, it's not my job to to comment on that kind of thing. Well, you do, <laughs> and it is your job. But anyway, um, yeah, I just to add insult to injury to the metaphor that sometimes when you are, however inadequately, trying to live through your inspired way of seeing, it can get really frustrating. Yeah, and I think that was the, um, you know, I think what you're describing there is really the third part of the message where, and I'm going to do this in, in totally short form, but I think the, we looked at a passage that talks about not treating people according to human standards. Right. And I think what that's really about is not treating people according to what you know, on the one hand, it's about not treating people according to the labels that they're given by us or by society, but I think it's also about not treating people according to our instincts. Yes. You know, we treat people according to the ideal is, again, the ideal, is that we treat people according to either, depending on what wording you're more comfortable with, how God sees them, or we treat them according to the potential that we know that they have in God. Yeah, the ability to bear his image, even if they're, it's not showing up in the way we can see them at the moment. And I think another way of saying it would be we treat people as if they're human. Yes, in the best sense of the word, not yes. in that way that that word has been hijacked, like, oh, well, I'm only human. 
Right, 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 right. Yeah, we we treat them mm-hmm. as if they're people with dignity, as if they're people worthy of respect, as if they're people who um, have something to contribute, as if they're a beautiful, loved, good part of God's creation. Yeah. Even when they're not putting that on display. Yeah. And the reason that, that I chose that particular observation to make in this context is when we feel hopeless because of what the world is throwing at us, then how tempted are we to give in and treat people as if they're something less than human or as if they're not good pieces of God's creation? Or if they're just, they just irritate us and we don't want to be bothered, just like the example I gave a couple of seconds ago about moving seven meetings. Well, guess what? You know, within 36 hours, there was another crisis, mm-hmm. you know, and there was this other need to meet in this very small window of opportunity, which this time I actually had that window open. And honestly, I didn't want to give it to them. Yep. I was like, no, I want to make you have to wait at least 36 hours. I want to punish you because we are now facing a situation that could have been different if you had come in earlier and we could have made a plan. Now, of course, none of that's necessarily true, right? Yeah. But that was the way my mind worked. But the way my whole mind, body, and spirit had to work together was because of who I am, I don't... I don't want to think and act like that. Yeah. So I am going to give you this window of opportunity because it is there. And I am I am going to do it because of who I am and who I want to be. I think, <laughs> you know, for me, that's how it has to work in my mind as well. I'm doing this because of who I want to be, not because of who you're being. Yeah. And on the one hand, now I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, that is, that can have a spiteful tinge to it, which is like, you are definitely not earning this kind of treatment. Now, I don't communicate this to the person, right? Like, I do not. Hopefully. Right. Like, it could come, (laughs) okay, sure. It could come across accidentally, right? right? right. But like, my, my goal is to not communicate that. But in my mind, it's like, you definitely don't deserve decent treatment in this, like you've done nothing to earn decent treatment, but I'm committed to my way of seeing, and I'm going to do it regardless. And, um, you know, I think that's, um, I think that's, sometimes I think that's just how this has to happen, right? It's like, because people are not going to just always act in such a, in such a, a decent fashion as to draw the best out of you. And so you have to figure out whatever strategy, <laughs> I keep knocking the microphone with my hand, you have to figure out whatever strategy works to uh, draw out of you your, your, your own faithfulness. Well, and to be, you know, appropriately self-disclosing, you know, and honest about this, we don't always act our best either. So that gives us a little more compassion for... When of we course. can see somebody not acting their best. But so I didn't want to make it sound like I thought I always was acting best because I don't. I don't I'm think just, anybody thinks that about you. <laughs> I'm 
pretty sure that all the people that know me know that. But what about all our millions of listeners who live in Brazil? That's true. They, I had to, I had to come clean with them. Yeah. But the thing of it is, is that um, I remember when we were, uh, when you were teaching that class on forgiveness, and you made the point that we sometimes think we have to over deliver in that apart in that department when it's really oftentimes good enough just not to be vengeful right yes and um so yeah i think that that's true in these situations and it it brings with it not only a certain reward but a, cer- a certain warmness that we can feel towards other people, which I think is exactly what you're talking about as it relates to this metaphor, not judging people by human standards. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I just want to emphasize, I think this came across better in the message than it's going to come across in podcast form, but how hard that is, you know, yeah. when you're betrayed, uh, when you're feeling isolated, when you're hurt, when you're feeling backed into a corner, when you're feeling, did I say hopeless? No, you just did. Um, that's the last time that we would ever desire to give love to another person or to receive love or to find a place, uh, to find a community, a new community. Right. Um, and that's part of what we we spent time talking about in the messages. There's, you know, a lot of times with a message like this, you could go to a shame place of, right. oh, these people who've hurt me so bad, I need to go back, I need to revisit these things, and I need to show them love now. But I really don't feel like doing that. And, and or you know that it'll bring more harm, or you've been a person who is constantly on the wrong end of stuff, you know, there's so many scenarios where it's difficult to go back and revisit things. You've just been poked with the stick one too many times. Yeah, and and so, you know, too often in the in the faith based world, we just resort to, well, you've got to rise above it. You know, you've got you know you've got to do it anyway or whatever. And I think what I tried to say is, you know, I think people who give that cliche have not appropriately grappled with how difficult life is and how difficult some people's circumstances are and how big their hurts are. And so I think the message that ultimately I tried to give is be who God is creating you to be wherever you can be it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, whether that's someplace new, um, whether it's, uh, you know, if you, if you have the capacity to do that somewhere old, that's great. Uh, but if you need to supplant yourself in a new family, not of origin, right, or a new kind of community, or a whatever, if it has to be somewhere new, if that's the only place where you can live out of this certain way of seeing where you can legitimately be who God is creating you to be, then be it there and be satisfied with the fact that you can that you can live into that anywhere. Which is a different thing than the cliche, bloom where you're planted. 
because where you were planted is in your family system of origin, perhaps, or, you know, whatever your system is. This is not saying this. This is saying, I think, if you find yourself pulled up by the roots, go find some nice, soft soil that you can be replanted in where you can be watered and nurtured and given sunlight so that you can thrive because the transplant itself is very difficult. So I, I really appreciated uh, that message because for some people they can't, they do have to have a transplant to a new land and um, a new, new way of being so that they can, they can flourish and thrive. Some hurts are so large that you need time and space to heal. And if you don't get it, it's not going to happen. Right. And so I think this is about acknowledging reality. Like sometimes you need a change in order to experience God's love. And if you're always stuck in the place that's bringing the worst out of you and you're not able to reflect God's love there, then that's not only not good for you, it's not good for the people around you, right? And so this is a way of saying, how can I... How can I live out of my certain way of seeing so that others may benefit? You know, right. sometimes that means finding other others, right? Right. Uh, right. So. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to put you on the spot, but you had a closing sentence that was awfully good. Do you remember what it was? Um, I think. You uh, said something like, you know, some of you may hear this as, but the sentence I'd like to use I just did a variation of it, but I'll do it. Um, um, you know, I think the there's that common cliche that if you if you heard this message this way, it would be fine. But it's not necessarily my um, ideal preference. But you you may hear in this message be the change you want to see. Right. Right. I think that's kind of. Um, that's a common message that gets sent a lot. Of, it's often a meme on Facebook. Right. Right. Um, Which is where we might get a lot of our theology these days. Unfortunately, Yikes. yeah. But what I would, but what I want people to hear is, be what God is making you. Um, because I, and the reason that the the distinction is important to me is, I want people to know that God is the one doing the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also live into the work that God is doing. Right. Right. Be what God is making you. It implies that there's participation. Yeah. I love that sentence. Be what God is making you. And all the things that go along with that, I think, wherever you have the, the message. The second half is wherever you have the capacity to be it. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Be what God is making you. God is doing the work. You're participating. But there's only going to be certain places that give you the opportunity to participate. Right. And, and, so be, to, and there's acceptance that has to come from that. There's acceptance and then there's discernment. Right. Yep. Right. I think in closing, um, one of the things that you uh, said at some point in the message, and I don't want us to lose it because I thought it was so good, is I think you just gave sort of a personal um, shout out to anyone who found themselves in the midst of betrayal and loss and life collapse. And you said, I, you didn't say it like this exactly, but 
I heard you say that you really hoped that anyone who might be hearing this message who was in a very bad way would heed these words so that they don't wilt under the pressure of betrayal or collapse, but instead find a place to be nurtured and supported so that they can continue to love and that they continue to live out of an inspired way of seeing. Hey, just because there's one field where the soil is not right for you to thrive in doesn't mean there isn't another one further down the road. And I know we, you know, I know there are just certain lands we want to be able to live in. Um, Yeah, I don't want people who are deeply hurting never to love again, never to receive love again, to simply retreat and put their head down and try to get through life. Um, This is the only life we've got. Uh, There are places where you can both receive and give love. Um, And I don't just mean that, I don't mean that in a romantic sense. I'm talking about the kind of love that God creates where our entire lives, our entire existences, and our entire communities are defined by traits like grace, mercy, and forgiveness, um, such that we feel total acceptance, total inclusion, total belonging, and that this transforms us um, into the type of person who can live out of these things and not just receive these things. Right. Uh, It's important to me that we don't retreat, because if we retreat, we miss out on that. We miss out on not just on the ability to give it, but the ability to receive that. And that's just... That's too sad of a way of being. Yeah. 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 So I think you've offered us uh, a bit of a, a light and um, that for many of us will be in a tunnel when we hear it and uh, a path to follow to say, hey, um, consider this. So. Yeah. I can see why this message requir- uh, uh, caused such a stir among us over the weekend, and I, I love the comments. And um, so I don't, I don't think we could we could adequately replicate that in a podcast. But then again, we did it in a third the time that the actual message took last weekend. So there is that. People can get on with their day. Yeah. I like that phrase, consider this. I think I wish I could, I think I'm going to start and end all of my messages with that. And if I ever write a book uh, again, I would like the title to be Consider This. Well, put that in the notes somewhere because you know the hardest part of any book is the title. Mm hmm. Yep. All right. Well, I think we did it. I think we're done. uh, Wait, wait, wait. Do you hear that? The music? There's music playing. Is it from Blue Dot Sessions? It is from Blue Dot Sessions. We didn't have to pay for it either, did No, we? it's royalty-free, which is uh, very uh, generous, I guess. I don't know if it's generous. I don't know how this all works, but I know that we get to use it as long as we give them a plug, and we're happy to do so because we like the music. So Blue Dot Sessions, found on the web at sessions.blue. We are North Star Community. If you don't know anything about us, we have a website, northstarcommunity.com. And we also have a campaign going on uh, called Lead the Way, which is a campaign for Richmond, Virginia. If you're a local listener, you can learn more about that at leadthewayrva.org. We have a few videos up. Yep. Leadthewayrva.org. So RVA being Richmond, Virginia. Leadthewayrva.org. Yep. 
that's job. where you can that's, excited. Yeah, that's where you can learn more about the uh, campaign. We got a couple videos up about what the lead the way about what lead the way is and what North Star is. So uh, feel free to check that out. Fantastic. All right. Thank you, Scott. I enjoyed it. And uh, to all you podcast listeners out there, we'll check in with you again next week. We wish you well.